Welcome to another episode of Fight the Burnout. Uh, today we have a veteran and uh, police uh, ex-police officer um, of 20 years uh, who's here. He owns uh, Filthy Pirate uh, Coffee, uh, which is amazing and awesome. I love the name. Uh, and he's going to talk to us today about his career, um, what he's gone through, what he's seen, what he's dealt with, um, and obviously around burnout. Um, so we're going to get some pretty cool tools today. We're going to get some good insight. Uh, he is from Arizona. And yeah, so we'll, we'll crack into it. Uh, but as I, as I always like to say before we start is take one thing away today. Just write down, you know, while you're listening, um, you know, viewers and listeners, just, just grab one thing and put it into action. Uh, because uh, we, there's so much knowledge out here. But if we don't take any action, then it's just knowledge. Um, but if we take action, then we can actually make shifts and changes and um, better ourselves, get back to enjoying what we do and um, go from there or keep enjoying it. So Dan, why don't you take it away? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. And, and yeah, well, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so my intro I do a little differently, um, and uh, just to kick it off right out of the gate, kind of what we were talking about before, Chris, um, so many cops get wrapped up in that being their identity. Hmm. So if you want my bio, I'm going to start with I'm a husband and I'm a dad. That's what I am. Um, and so um, I did police work and, and Marine Corps, uh, U.S. Marine Corps stuff as a profession but I'm a dad first and, you know, and a, a husband, I'm a retired cop now. So I'm also the retired guy that sits out watering his lawn, smoking cigars, telling people to get off his lawn too. So spraying um, on the hose, I take it. Yeah. <laughs> hell off my lawn. So that's, that's the start of my bio, but to dive into my career, uh, 20 years as a law enforcement officer, I spent, I think 11 of that as a no, I'm sorry. 10 of that is a supervisor, um, a supervisor level. And um, I worked patrol. I worked uh, plain clothes and auto theft detail twice. I worked undercover in a um, like a violent crimes um, group that worked guns, dope. And then eventually we switched over to human trafficking. Wow. Um, that which is a very, very unique experience to work wow. that wow. under a, a, like a federal grant. So I supervised that and did that. And then my last two jobs that I did, uh, I was the in-service training supervisor uh, for our agency. At that time, we had about 1,100 personnel, both sworn and um, professional staff. And so my job was to provide training for everyone after the academy. The academy had its own training cadre. but um, So that was a really interesting experience, and that probably is the focal point of my burnout. Um, and I've got a little saying that we can talk about later on is there is no emergency PowerPoint. And I'll explain what I mean by that later on. And, and it kind of ties into some of the burnout. Um, four years in the Marine Corps as well. I grew up in a small town, Ohio, um, just kind of as a farm kid. So work ethic was always really strong in my family. And I think that's also a second part when you mm. burnout is really easy to achieve when you're a hardworking and person of high integrity and you don't want to fail and you don't want to let people down. That's a dangerous, very, it's a, it's a very healthy um, <laughs> attribute, but it can be very dangerous too. Yeah. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll dive into that later on, but uh, that was one of my, one of my biggest strengths in, growing up through the ranks in the police department. I had a blessed career. I, I say blessed because I made it home 
out of the gate, you know, with the same amount of holes that I went into the job with and nothing extra. Uh, I got banged up a little bit. I've gotten injured just like every other cop. And then um, I had my fair share of uh, non-visible injuries, you know, as well internally. So great career. Um, Spent 13 years on SWAT. Did that. That was probably the biggest portion of my career where I spent the most energies um, and efforts uh, and involvement. Um, I was a team leader, a sniper, um, you know, and had a really, really great career there involved in multiple uh, high, you know, high violent critical type things, uh, lots of um, several shootings um, that were, um, you know, that transpired. But um, yeah, interestingly enough, most of the things that I endured on the negative side was at the training unit. Hmm. Okay. Wow. You've done it. You've done a lot. It's awesome to hear few things. Obviously we're going to talk about, there's so much here that, that we're going to talk about. We'll try and cram it into as little time as we can, but who knows how long yeah. we'll go. Um, but, uh, before we get into the training side, because I know that's where there's going to be some good meat in that. I want to talk about the, you know, you talked about the, you know, with your bio and that your identity isn't what, you know, isn't what you do. It's who you, you know, it's who you are. You are a father and, and, and uh, a husband. Why do you think that's so important? Um, because I think you have to, a lot of times when we, you know, you hear these intros and they start with their career and they don't even mention very, very little until they're prompted Mm. about their passions, the things they do, their hobbies, their family. Um, a lot of people don't know. I have a, my son, my oldest son's going to be 21. He has autism and we're going to take care of him for the rest of our lives, you know? So a lot of folks, you know, in our career fields, law, law enforcement, first responders, even military, they start with, you know, I'm a green beret. I'm a firefighter. I'm a cop. You know, I'm a SWAT guy. Well, the truth is you're not. Mm. That's a part of, that's a chapter of your life, but it's not who you are. And I think we need to rewire how we say things and how we think things yeah. and what is a priority so that subconsciously when I say it, I start with, this is who I really am. Yeah. That's a part of me, but this is who I really am. How long have you been doing that for? You know, just the last couple of years, mainly this last year. I did a lot of rewiring this last year. I've been retired since November of 2020. We spent that following year, most of 2021, getting the business up going, getting the podcast that we run up going um, and, and smooth. And then I've also really last this last year, part of 2021, and then this year, just spending on rewiring how I think, how I talk, how I act, the things that I do, what's a priority, what's not a priority, what can wait, what they, I used to, you know, dive into right away. <laughs> that, Ohio, think, that Ohio hard worker. <laughs> yeah. It's just someone gave, Hey Dan, can you help me with this? Absolutely. I'll drop everything and I'll go. <laughs> and it might be, a, that might be the case. You might, you know, Chris might have a flat tire and I got to go help him off the side of the road, but it also might be you. And I think we all had, have had those people in our lives where are they taking advantage of your, your niceness? Are they taking advantage of your willingness to do a good job? you and a lot of bosses do that. I think yeah. they yeah. see, they see a caliber of employee that's high level integrity, going to get it done, get it done. Right. And so as a leader, it's really challenging and important that you balance getting good, healthy work out of someone and inspiring them. Uh, versus just beating them down and just piling all your shit on them until um, they break. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's really important. 
Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. And it's, it's interesting how a lot of us uh, law enforcement and that it takes us a few years out of the job to recognize that what we did wasn't actually who we are. So it's, it's all about, you know, seeing what we can do to transition that faster, you know, or even before we leave, because then, you know, you know, it. law enforcement's got one of the highest divorce rates out of any career yeah. that you can have. And it's not Substance because abuse, you yeah. know, it's not because it's not because it's not because we're all a bunch of horrible people and nasty it's because that's who we end up becoming because we think we are what we do instead of coming home and disconnecting and going hey works at work (laughs) um you know um so no i love i love that um now as a you know you would have seen and dealt with a whole ton of stuff i take it especially you know being involved in shootings and being on swat and that how do you believe that um, that compounded in with everything else that we're going to talk about as a, you know during the training doing the training side of stuff? When it came uh, yeah, great question. Um, so I personally have been involved in five shootings total. Um, two where I was an actual shooter. The other three I was there in some capacity, right directly close to it, and and just didn't wasn't in a position to shoot. And um, so the first shooting I was involved in is the one I'd like to describe my experience as a splinter. Um, everyone's gotten a piece of wood splinter or metal underneath a finger it, and it it's in there and you can't get it out. Right. And you know, it's in there. You can feel it occasionally and you kind of forget about it and it kind of comes around again. And that's how my first incident was because I ended up um, a woman that was suicidal. She was an older woman. She wasn't a violent person. She didn't have a bad background. She wasn't the animal that we all hear about coming out of prison that hates cops and mm-hmm. all of that. She was a, she was a mom and uh, she ends up, so we end up going to her house to do a check welfare because she made some suicidal comments to her son, basically goodbye. It was what she did. I've, I've, I've been involved in those jobs. Yep. Right. Every <laughs> cop has, right. For the yeah. most part, I, not every cop, but probably 99% of yeah. cops. Yeah. <laughs> And so I go there and knock on the door. She acknowledges, says, go away. And time expires. And we hear a gunshot. We think at first she's shooting at us. She actually was. We didn't know that until later on the investigator. She was shooting through the carport door at us where we were at. But we thought she self-inflicted. So we broke out a window to kind of look inside the room. I was on a rifle. She came out of another room still alive, obviously, because she didn't self-inflict. And um, she's pointing the gun straight at me, probably just a few feet away and um, kind of gave myself pause because it like, is this really happening? This isn't, mm. this isn't the bad guy that we trained for. When you do your scenarios and you got the, you know, the big meat eater cop who's dressed down and, you know, it didn't fucking look anything like that. Right. It mm. just looked like this mom, like someone's mom on the other side. And um, so <clears throat> I ended up shooting her and, um, the team ends up going in and I'm holding on her looking through the broken window at her down on the ground. And, um, I didn't, what, here's the splinter part. I didn't know her son that he, that she texted was on scene just outside on the perimeter. So when the shots rang out, he clearly knew and he could see what had just transpired. So he runs up and he starts yelling, you shot my mom, you shot my mom. Hmm. And so that shit got burned in my head uh, pretty badly. And I put it away right away. I like, I knew that this is bad. This is bad. Like, um, 
And so I put it away for a long time. I was like, Oh, I could feel that splinter. It's, it's, it's infected in there, you know, and, but I'm just going to keep, keep going. Mm -hmm. Fast forward 10 years later, um, not dealing with it. You know, I, I went to the proverbial, you know, visit with the doctor, the police doctor afterwards. And, with you counselor, know, which right, right, right. Cross, along with stuff. Right. And a lot of times the police one's actually not all that great because they're just there to get you through. <laughs> right. Sadly, which is horrible. And here's where our system was broken. You know, you go within 24, 48 hours of your shooting, you go visit the doc. It's one of the things you do on your three days off. And then you never hear from them again. You never see them. If you take no initiative, there's no follow-up. So one of the things I was working on before I left was like, hey, there, this stuff has lingering effects. It could be weeks. It could be years. It could be, you know, what about when they retire? Are you checking on on these folks after they retire? You know, it is your duty. You, you, you know, you created caused, them. your career <laughs> caused this thing. Yeah. Just, I don't know. That's just kind of a spinoff. That was the the implementation of the splinter that I didn't know was going to really take a, a bad toll on me. Fast forward to training. Um, 10 years later, I'm at the latter part of my career. I'm completely burned out. Sorry, just real uh, I, quick. How long were you in the job when this shooting happened? I had been on eight years. Okay. So you've been in for quite, for quite a while. So yeah. sure there's also the other trauma stuff that's added on to that from the other jobs that you've been to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've had a handful, you know, the dead baby calls, um, yeah. those, the, you know, those other ones that stick with us and, and yeah. really, and everybody um, has different ones, different ones affect different people in different ways. Yeah. It's, but they do, they compound up, they compound up over time. They do. And it takes something else that just triggers it. Right. I had, um, I had a cop tell me one time, well, I've seen dead babies and I've seen, you know, I've been involved in shootings. Oh, I don't need any of this stuff. And I'm like, mm, the fact that you're, you're so nonchalantly saying that leads me to believe, and I'm not a doctor, but it leads me to believe you probably need to kind of work on this a little bit, Yeah. but you know, just kind of a side token, yeah. we all see things and we all, and what I've learned in my journey this last year, talking to other cops like us is it, you can't pinpoint what it's going to be. You can't. Um, and you don't know what, what you're going to struggle with or what a person might struggle with or might not struggle with. Yeah. Um, you got those everybody's, constant... everybody has their own past pre-policing and this yeah. is, this is where, you know, I'm very passionate about helping when I help those get into law enforcement, same thing. I talk to them about their past and what they've gone through. Because if you're bringing it in and those are the reasons because you want to stop that or you want, you know, those are painful and you don't like them. So you want to help, you want to stop them. Yes, that's very good. But if you're living by that, all it does is compound in all the time, you know, as you said um, earlier on, the beliefs and the, you know, shifting the, the, the beliefs and the wiring and that if we can shift the wiring that we're bringing into the place, then we're not recreating it every job, every dead baby, every suicide, every shooting. We're not it's not reconcreting in all of our past. Um, and so, yeah, it's, um, it is. And, and everybody brings different, something different to the job. Um, yeah, for sure. So, um, but yeah. All right. So you've gone through this, you've, you've stuffed it away. I call them, I call them the demons in our heads, those little voices. And we stuff them away. That split, you're calling it the splinter. So you've stuffed it away, stuffed it away. And then you've gone to the training, you know, you're doing the post Academy training type side of stuff with officers and yeah. You know, um, so just to kind of back up that happens in 
2009, 2014, 2012, I become a supervisor. A lot of pressures put on me as a supervisor. Um, and, and I'm not saying this arrogantly. I was just a doer. I got things done. I got things done very well. And so you become the person, hey, Dan, um, we got this project coming up. I need you to, you know, get a few people together and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's one. And then there's two. And then there's three and four and five. And they're all due tomorrow. And, you know, it just stacks up. And I did not have a no button <laughs> yep. uh, or I'm sorry, I can't this week. And that is real, real critical to start rewiring your brain to look at things and go, that's too much. It's not healthy. It's not going to do anybody any good. So that went on for a few years. Um, I got into a street crimes unit, the human trafficking, and we worked some ungodly hours. So mm -hmm. sleep deprivation. Yep. Um poor eating habits. I was going to the gym at that time. And I think that probably helped me a ton yeah. more than I ever could imagine. I think it would have killed me physically, yeah. all of this stuff. Had I not been going to a, a gym five times a week. I say this all the time. The gym saved my life when I was going through all the hell, when I had all the stuff going on yes. mentally wise, the gym was my release. And I, it was, it was my drug as such. Uh, now it's not so much my drug. I feel like the gym can be a it's a very good thing, but it can also be just like heroin. It can be something that is when you're reliant on anything yeah. really to survive, you need to, you know, it's that why, but okay. So going to the gym, that's good. So you got the fitness side of stuff to release things. Yeah, I got, um, and I got sick with, uh, Graves disease in uh -huh. 2017, which is a overactive thyroid, wow. which is most commonly induced by stress. In Stress, adrenaline. adrenaline, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Your thyroid yeah, had no idea how to how to cope with all the adrenal failure and stress. It was yeah. it was crazy. It was like all of a sudden one day I'm walking up one flight of stairs into our training admin building and I have to stop and I can't breathe and then my heart is pounding and it feels like every cop knows this feeling like right after a pursuit, foot mm. pursuit, car pursuit, and you're you're trembling and you got all that adrenaline. Well, this was all day, every day. It wouldn't stop. And I lost. Like you'd be surprised. There are probably there are more cops uh, that have that that don't know about it because I don't care who you are or what you do or whatever mindset you have. When you're on shift, your adrenaline is pumping. Yeah. So oh yeah. Body it's, ready. it's on alert. Right. It's, it's yeah. always going. I remember when I left the place. It took me ages to. You know, I'd get excited about something or something I'm passionate about. I get excited about it. my adrenaline would go and I'd get such a flood of adrenaline that I'd start to get uh, shakes that I couldn't control because my body didn't know how to regulate my adrenaline. Yeah. Well, if you let that go too long uh, or, and, you know, every, everybody's different, you could end up like in my case where your yeah. body is pumping adrenaline nonstop. And so I lost like 40 pounds Wow. Uh, really fast and I'm a big guy. And, um, and so it also hit me in the gym where I was like, all of a sudden I had no, I had no strength, no energy. So I stopped going to the gym, which was bad, but I had to for this. And eventually over the next few years that was able to get under control, but I was now at the training center and I was at the training center under a new chief who was a progressive liberal from California, who uh, actually is now the board of patrol and customs director chief magnus chris magnus who was just nominated oh. um by biden administration and so his running orders were basically 
our training was completely outdated and not very good, which he was correct. It was like most police departments. You go to that one 10 hour training day, everyone's dragging their gun belts in looking like a bag of shit, you know, and acting like a bag of shit and pissed off because they got to be there. And I say that from a supervisor standpoint, because it's like, Oh, you guys are killing me. Just do the training. But, uh, I remember turning up to some trainings like that. And I was up there. I was on diplomatic protection at the time. So I had done high level, like CQB training and stuff. And I went to, because we had to get up to level three, like responder type thing um, from level one, they're changing how the, who was in what level and that. And so we had to get up to there. And uh, so I go to this and I'm there with all these like frontline cops, these old crusty cops that have been, you know, and they're there and they're doing their, their holds and they're like this doing their holds. And I just slapped one of them in the face. I was like, dude, I can, if I can slap you in the face, you can get the shit kicked out of you. And so, but watching them, they're just, it is, is that, that one day a year, that blase kind of thing. And yeah. And, and I was used to training with SWAT guys and our, our training at that, we was hardcore. Like you went at it. Similar to me. Yeah. (laughs) You went at it and you gave it your all. And at the end of it, you debriefed it and you took accountability for all your mistakes. And it was, it was completely contrast uh, what our agency was now you know, talking about the officers and just how minded they were. Well, that was the agency's fault because we had built mm-hmm. this over 20, 25, 30 years of the shit training. Yeah. We had people teaching that shouldn't have been teaching. We had people that didn't have credibility, people that were hiding from police work that did not really they go, care. They go, there, they go there because they don't want to be frontline, yeah. but they don't want to leave the job. Yeah. So that's why they brought me in. They're like, they cleaned house and they said, we want a new supervisor who's got an extensive background, who could teach tactics, use of force who is a good instructor who can get the message across. And they asked me to do it. And I said, I'll do it. Uh, Cause I like training. I was, I really, really enjoyed instructing and I was good at it. And mm-hmm. I could take someone and show them how to do the job in a way that made it valuable to them and that yeah. they wanted to, to learn. And we to, did that to their, to their needs because everybody learns differently and everybody's taking right. something different away from something. And as soon as you can figure out what it is that that person needs, shit, they'll, they'll, they'll soak everything up. Yeah, one of the things we did at training was we stopped saying this is right or that is wrong. It was what what did you do? Why did you do it? Is it legal? Is it moral? Is it just you know? And then we'll go from there. You know, because you could go left when I go right, it, and yeah. maybe both are fine, right? Yeah. And so we we broke that curse, and that good. so to give to give this chief credit, um, we went up I think in 2017 600 percent in training volume. Wow! In one year. So that's, a you lot, that's a lot of volume for the, for lot the, of volume. For the guys a lot of volume. teaching it. <laughs> right. And so we were, and we were, we're, we're, and we did a really good job. We pump out this curriculum. The reason I'm saying all this was eventually that shit, when you never let off the gas pedal, it eventually will break you. Mm-hmm. It'll break everyone. Um, and they never did. They'll make it worse. And this is something to be mindful for your listeners that are listening that might be in a supervisory or command management position is be mindful of sending new aspiring people that want to get promoted into positions like that, where you're making big changes because they will bury people in my experience to get promoted Uh and they don't give a shit who they step on um, to do it. Not all of them. So just keep that in mind that that's what is your, what is your goal? My goal when I went there was to get everybody home, keep Mm -hmm. them out of jail and keep them out of the hospital. 
That was our goal. That was, I told my staff, those are the three things that we're going to do. That's a mission statement for you. That's right. a mission statement for the training. Get them home, <laughs> keep them out of jail and, you know, and keep them from ending up in the hospital if we can. But my boss's mission was a little different. And so mm. here's where it starts. The splinter's really starting to poke through the skin now um, at this point, 2017, 2018. Um, and I hit, I hit some pretty low moments uh, where it just, you know, I didn't have the support. They gave me the mission, but didn't have the support to kind of fix things. And there was a lot of, a lot of things going on. Cops were pissed, you know, as you can imagine. You well, go in from 20, one, so you said 2017. We started in, in early 2016 or late 2016 and then early yeah, 2017. Wasn't it 2016, the Black Lives Matter thing started coming up and there was all the well, yeah, police stuff yeah. going on as well, well which that, adds more stress to it because that was the time when I started to hit because that was happening in the U.S. and it was starting to pedal here. I was going, I had my stuff going on. So that popped in my head and it, I know all around the world it started to. Yeah. So it's more kind of pressure you, on cops as well. To kind of give you a description of just like one event that really, really just tore at my crew was we were ordered to bring in convicted felons, people of color to tell cops what cops had done wrong to them. So imagine sitting in a room full of cops and I, I agree. I agree with bringing them in and learning from them. There's a learning not, value, not but, not, any but of that. not being told what you did wrong. A cop right, does not yeah. want to be told what they did wrong. We, we had told how to learn had, from it. <laughs> yeah. So we had these organizations that brought these people in. Um, we had people like people of color that um, were doctors, uh, PhDs in sociology and, you know, and all these different things right away cops put up barriers it was not the right way to do any of this training there was a valuable learning point in understanding the perspective of someone growing up uh in a poverty-stricken environment and the things that they've encountered or you know in some of these stories i remember talking to one guy and how he was treated by a cop it was funny because he said you know i fucked around and got my ass kicked a lot i did some dumb shit he goes but putting me face down on the hot pavement in Arizona and leaving me there was bullshit. I was like, fair enough. Great point. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, that, it made me really think because we took for granted on that stuff sometimes and yeah. how we put people down and, and then when do we get them up in a timely manner and so forth. But anyway, um, I digressed. What all of that, 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 that training there caused so much conflict. I had, I had officers screaming at me outside of the, the training classroom, fellow supervisors, what the fuck are you doing? Bringing this shit in here. And they were, what they were angry about was the new chief and the direction of the, of the country. Right. Yeah. So Ferguson, Baltimore, all that happened in 2014 by 2016, things were changing. Body cameras are out. All this stuff was coming. The escalation training, mental health training. And it was a lot, man. We, yeah. we, we don't realize how much change this country did across the world, right? I yeah. mean, for the world, everybody was involved in this. And um, by 2018, man, I was running on fumes. I was coasting into the gas station. I had nothing left. And and shame on me, I didn't recognize it because I was that person that said, but, but we never, going, we, 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 ne we never do. I know I went through it for years as well. And I had it multiple times people say to me, and then it took me almost cheating on my wife to realize it. Yeah. I almost cheated on it. I was there. I was literally about to take action. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? And at that moment, everything everybody had said clicked. 
I was like, there, there is something going on here. Yeah, infidelity it, is is huge among our ranks, you know. Right? Well, it's, it's, is it it's, really what is it? You know, and, and everybody has their own. Everybody has their own changing moment of. Well, wait a second. I'd love to hear if you if you know or have, can identify that kind of that moment where you're like, wait a second. Yeah. Now I need to go to the gas station. Yeah. Um, so then it yeah, puts yeah. everything up until then into perspective, and you go, holy crap. <laughs> yep. Twenty. So I can tell you right now, 2019 in the fall, sitting on the edge of my bed. Uh, on two occasions and I had completely checked out in life. It was over. It was, it was done. I had, and it was weird because for the first time in my life, I understood all those calls of people that I was dealing with and they were talk about their depression. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the fuck is that? I don't understand that. What is that? I get kind of disappointed sometimes, but I finally felt it. I felt like nothing. It didn't matter. matter. Nothing Nothing matters. And and it's hard to describe. And once you get in it, it felt like I was in a toilet bowl, just swirling and I could not stop. Um, and so, you know, the idea of the suit, I even started planning it um, and what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. And I just remember sitting around the edge of the bed and I kind of looked up and I see the picture of my kids and my wife. And I'm like, this is going to fucking destroy them. How could you be so selfish? You know, you want to. You, you know, you feel that pain inside and you want it to stop. And so when I was the first time I was sitting there, this is all within a three week, three week time span mm. where it really got really dark, really, bad, really, yeah. really, really dark. It, it had been, been, it had been going bad for 18 months prior to that, I think. And it just kept increasing and nobody knew not, not, not a close friend. Nobody knew. And um, I remember all I could hear was that guy saying, you shot my mom, you shot my mom. And this is what kind of really catapulted me down. Cause I was like, you know, you start having these, I can't get this right. I can't do this right. I'm not good at this. And it, 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 the rewiring was going really badly in the wrong direction. Yeah. And the um, negative, the negative thoughts, the negative beliefs, yeah. right? and it just starts to compound in. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and, and then you, it finalized with, you're such a piece of shit. You shot somebody's mom. And I'm like, fuck, you know, and so that stewed for about three weeks until I put the plan in, in motion and um, was ready to kind of do that. And then I just had that moment. I don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a higher thing, you know, spiritual thing, but it was just that moment where I was like, and I think some of it was, I had a good friend in high school that committed suicide out of the blue Yeah, and Nobody, none of our friends, there was four or five of us that were real close and nobody knew. And we were with him two days prior, you know, partying and having a good time. And, and I just remember how devastated all of us, his family, his mother, his girlfriend, everybody was just destroyed. And mm-hmm. I just, I am very grateful that at that one moment, I had enough ability to not be selfish enough to override that, like, yeah, well, I know this is going to destroy them, but I don't want to live here anymore. You know. Yeah. Well, the you know, there's there's a there's a thing that you know, a thing for that. You know, as we talked about before we even started, you know, doing this episode, uh, we were talking about how the past, bringing the past into law enforcement, sometimes is a good thing. Like right there, that's a great thing that you know. I live by everything's happened for me, and so as horrible as it is that your friend, you know, took took his life, it set you up for the future of when you were in that darkest thing, it was like, wait a second, all of that subconsciously comes into you in and you're like, 
because I remember like for me, I got to a stage where I didn't create a plan, but I would think about, I'd ride my motorcycle as hard as I, and fast as I could. And if something happened, I didn't care. Yeah. It's strange. You know, I'm uncovering in my kind of just, you know, research that is a type of suicide by cop. You know, if I just, I'm out here on this traffic stop, if I just kind of turn into traffic, then I yeah. die on duty and I'm a hero. And, and yeah. And so know, I, would, you know, I, mine, was, mine was personal, scary. my personal motorcycle. I would ride it fast. I would go off on rides and I'd push it through corners and do stupid things and see how fast I could get it to go and go, well, if something happens, it's not a big deal. But then, but I never actually wanted to, I never was like, I'm going, because the things that destroyed me were the suicides and the advising jobs. I went to a span of, I think it was six weeks. I went to six different suicides and the advising notification jobs. And so I saw that pain. So I was like, for me personally, I was like, no, I, I couldn't do that. But at the same time, I'm sitting there doing things that I was like, eh, if it happens, it happens. Yeah. And it, it's, it is, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange, it's a strange thing. Yeah. And yeah, it's just one of those, it's one of those. I have a, you know, from that moment, um, I, you know, just vowed that I'm going to do whatever I can to work through this and figure out what it is. And at the time I really didn't know what it was, you know, and I didn't, you know, kind of piece together. I still had a little over a year left before I could retire. I didn't want to retire. I wanted to do another five years. Um, for financial reasons, but it came down to, uh, especially after Minneapolis happened, I was like, Oh God, I can't fucking do this again. Like, you know, after F Ferguson and all the changes and all the stuff. And I just, you know, sometimes I feel like I I quit, you know, on the profession, but I also like, you know, at some point you have to salvage yourself. Um, And I tell, I tell cops this now, I don't give a shit if you got one year in 10 years in 25 years in, if it's time to go, man, go i'm gonna go yeah go find so there dude there's a whole world out there yeah of amazing stuff and what's cool is with your training and the type of person that it takes to become a police officer wherever you are in the world you are automatically set up for success in your next career because you're a problem solver you can deal with things you can work through things you can there's so many attributes that we have that transfer over into the civilian world so don't i tell folks all the time i tell cops say man don't be married to a retirement date or retirement money number. Um, be married to living healthy. Uh, and because what good is it to go work 35? You're going to work 35 years, kill over dead at 57 and not collect one fucking dime that you, you earned. Like what, yeah. what's the point of that? You got to, so many people get so tied up and, and how to live their life that they never actually live their life. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it is, it's, it's so, it's so true, you know, and, and we have to, you know, as, as you've, you've, you've touched on many times, you weren't looking after yourself. No, not, not at all. And the number one thing as cops is we look after everybody else, but we never look after ourselves. Now I hear it all the time. Oh, you know, we look after everybody who looks after us. It's like, no, 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 no. We don't need anybody else to look after us. We look after ourselves, which then attracts people to come with us. 
here's a good here's a good point too and i throw it back on agencies um before i was leaving we started seeing these uh comfort dogs coming in Mm -hmm. a lot for uh victims they were for investigative units like child abuse units where they would have these um nonprofit ngos that have these dogs come with them on you know safe environments to meet with the victims and i i was talking to a boss and i said do you think that maybe we should have thought about getting dogs internally in the police agency? You know, if we're going to do this, why does everything have to be for the public when we just keep leaving ourselves out to dry all the time? How fucking hard is it for us to get a couple dogs, a couple Labradors? Just some retired, some right. retired canines. Right. That we all know and love, you know, and he's like, I go, what's so hard about that? Why can't this, why can't police administrators and politicians start thinking about their employees as an investment? Why can't they do that? What, what is, what is holding you all up? You'll do all this shit for everyone else in the public. And I get that. That's what we're there to do. You know, it's kind of like you're buying lumber for your neighbor's house to fix it before you, while your whole, your house is, well, your house is falling apart. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. You know, they, I love this. This is a great conversation. Um, we, you know, as law enforcement, we do, we do, uh, you know, I've talked, I've talked to law enforcement and first responders all the time and it's, we're doing everything for everybody else. And one, um, one, one of the guys was like, you know, we don't evaluate, reevaluate ourselves. We evaluate every other situation, but we don't evaluate our, our own situation. And once we can start doing that, and once if, if, if departments can start actually thinking about, okay, how do we look after our team? Because if we look after our team, they will look after everybody else better. Yeah. Here's a good example. You should have never went and done those notifications. No, if you, if you were on scene, right. You should (laughs) have never went there. It should have been me who wasn't on the call. I get summoned in. Here's the name. Here's the all the information. You're going to go to this address. And you're going to do a no- yep. notification. Why yep. are you doing that? Yeah, you know, there were there were, a, there were a couple that you. The one was I was with the dad when my partner found the, mm. found his son. So that one, which was probably the hardest one for me, watching somebody who was about my dad's age, literally collapse when oh, yeah. he kept he kept pulling it out of me kept pulling it pulling it because he knew as soon as i started taking him back to the car he knew he subconsciously he already knew and so he just collapsed in the in the in the walkway and i pretty much had to carry him back to the patrol car um but then yeah there are there's another one where uh, i went to the thing and we're like oh we're all, it's it's on our way back to the station you know at the end of really? shift we'll be there 10 minutes we'll just we'll just stop three and a half hours later who were still yeah. there it's i mean you think about that you're you're about to tell a family that somebody important to them is gone and never coming back yep exactly. and we're you know here you are and i've done the same thing and i've like, got the hey, and i've got it. the image in my head of what right. he's actually done as well <laughs> right. you're on your way to you know oh i'll just stop you know before i get my cheeseburger on the way back to the station i'll just stop and we got to change that, yeah. that whole, how we do all those things um, and think about the significance of that. I've also been on notifications where cops did a really shitty job and very, very unemotional. Just, yep, your son's dead, died in a car crash, you know, and you're like, I'm like, dude. Well, that, there, that, there's you know, an emotional, like, that there's an emotional disconnect from themselves after that right. job where we went and I was like, oh, we'll, we're like, oh, it'll take 10 minutes. We couldn't even get the welfare people to get there because I couldn't get a hold of them. So we ended up having to do all of it. Whereas normally you turn up, you get the welfare people and they come, they take over and you leave. So it's yeah. normally not too bad. But yeah, this one and 
I, that day, I can put it on to that day. It was the final nail in the coffin of removing my emotions. And from that yeah. day on, my emotions, and I'm an emotional guy, my emotions, I shut them off. Because the 16-year-old daughter found the suicide note on the computer, blamed herself, oh. and all I wanted to do was give her a big hug. And it was around, it was about 2015-ish. No, it was 20. 2014, so it was when all the Ferguson stuff was mm -hmm. going on and that, and I was hearing it because I'm from the States initially. And yeah, and I'm sitting there going, oh, I can't give her a hug because that just is going to be unprofessional, you know, a 16-year-old girl giving her a hug saying it's not her fault. And that's all went through my head, and so I just went, it's okay. It's not your fault. And I disconnected completely. Yeah. And I never reconnected until I left the job. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Uh, I feel great now. Um, not just because I retired, but because, and I tell people this, look, man, it's okay to feel sorry for yourself. It's okay mm -hmm. to have, um, you know, injuries, whether you sprained your ankle running in a foot, foot pursuit or, you know, the, whatever has happened internally in your head, what's not okay is to sit there and be in a fucking pity party for yourself every day. You've got to take some action and there's tons of resources, even if it's just listening to a podcast like this, just to get your head right in the right momentum. Yeah. One of the things I tell people, the easiest thing you can do, the easiest thing you can do, it costs you almost no money, is get up. And the very first thing you do before anything, well, actually, use the restroom when you wake up and then <laughs> drink water. Drink 20 ounces of water. Start your day out because your body needs that water. I found mm -hmm. that is, especially as you get older, um, your body needs that hydration. And you're starting out the day with something positive that's simply changing how you think and how you do stuff. Don't pick up your phone. Don't oh. have a cup of coffee yet. Drink a cup of water. You put that water back in your body and sit and reflect for a minute. And I always try to do this. I'm, I'm grateful for at least one thing. Yeah. I was going to say, that's what I normally do. First thing when my eyes open up, I go, what am I grateful for? And actually, I've started doing it on an app on my phone because I had a tendency to grab my phone. So I was like, sweet, I'm going to grab my phone. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell myself what I'm grateful for. I'm going to put it in my phone. I like that. It's good. It start with something positive. Don't no. think, don't, and don't, don't look at social media and no. all the anti Biden and anti Trump or, or this or that, or Will Smith slapping the shit out of someone <laughs> or any other horse shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. It's so true. And it, it is that one that, that and I, I teach my clients to do this all the time before they even get into the place because it's how you actually will develop and be better at anything is, 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 is have good habits and be grateful. Yeah. And I was like, and, and people are like, Oh, I don't know what I'm grateful for. So like when I do my group calls, like my coaching calls with my, with my, with my clients, we do it in a group setting so everybody can learn from each other. I constantly, uh, the first thing that I ask them is, okay, what are you grateful for today? The amount of people that struggle to find something grateful is actually flabbergasting. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm like, stop overcomplicating it. Stop trying to find something big and grand. Me, sometimes I wake up and the only thing that my mind can go to is I'm grateful I woke up. Yeah, right. Um, I, I will tell you, um, your own mortality oh. is one of the biggest things that you you think about what it takes to become a human being in the, this world and what it takes to stay a human alive mm. for, you know, I'm going to be 50. Um, so, yeah, fuck, I'm grateful. Shit, man. I woke how up. many people died last right. night while they were right. asleep? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how many people how died many, in the world last night? You know, 600,000 <laughs> 600, people die in the U.S. from heart disease yeah. every year. 
you do the number. That's a lot of people every day, right? Like, and, and so taking care of yourself and not, you know, getting into that position where your heart is going to quit on you. You know, that, that's just like, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I get up, I go to the gym with my daughter at 4am and we go work out and we come back and we start our day at 6am. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah, uh, fuck, it's, it's I'm the same, you know, the second thing that I always, I've got two dogs. And so that'll be another one that I'm, it's so easy. I'm grateful for them because they love you unconditionally. I don't care. You know, dogs love you unconditionally. If yeah. we could all be like dogs, my wife says it all the time. If we could all be like dogs, the world would be a better place. Loyal and <laughs> unconditional. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then the third one, the, the three that I can grab all the time. I'm grateful to be, a, I woke up. I'm grateful for my wife and I'm grateful for my dogs. Yeah. Keep it simple. It's, keep it, it simple is, because it's, everything and then, and then after you can that grow is, on it. But yeah. yeah, keep it simple because otherwise, if you're trying to overcomplicate everything, then you know, you, you if you're trying to if you're overcomplicating that, and you recognize that you're overcomplicating that, you'll be overcomplicating other things in your life. Oh yeah, be overcomplicating the the job that you went to yesterday. You'll be overcomplicating the job you went to ten years ago. You know, it's like, it's like if I, if we take that, you know, the, the shooting that you were involved in that, you know, stayed with you for so long, a proper good counselor would have, would have got you to make sure and continually stayed with you around the, the importance of the good that you did. Yeah. I think the other thing too, I should have done hindsight being 2020 and I'd like to see, and I really promote this now. Well, our, our, our hindsight is the learnings for the next guy, the yeah. next people yeah. coming up behind us. Right. My, my learning example that I would give a cop is I should have, I should have talked to a friend, mm -hmm. a, a, a cop friend that I really trusted. And I, and there, there were at that time, I had a couple really close cop friends that we, we did a lot of stuff together and I should have said, dude, I'm fucked up over this mm. and just talked with him a little bit. And, um, I, I, knowing him, he would have talked me through it and everything would have been, would have been, I think better. I, than what I did. Um, professional stuff obviously is, is fantastic. You know, they don't get us a lot of the time. They don't, um, peer support groups, um, are great, even if they're other cops, but when they're, they're structured and they're all these things, but sometimes I found just talking to a, a good friend, um, would have been good. And secondly, I should have told my wife, mm. um, I never told her and she never understood Same. the depths. Uh, she understood the situation that we were in um with using force and and i think i might have told her like it was a it was a 55 year old woman like it was but i never really went into detail about the son and how that really wreaked havoc on me and i should have shared that with her uh and lastly i think one of the things i learned from that whole thing was um if you have kids share what you can within reason obviously there's a lot of really gross details and you stuff. don't need to go into details with it but right but share with your kids early on i waited and i never told my kids and they were oh god i think my daughter was 10 or 12 when i was with around another cop and he was like hey it was like that one shooting that you were in and i'm like motherfucker i haven't told my kids yet you know what i mean and she just kind of looked at me and i had to kind of explain so i was i i would always say you know share that career and your feelings too like my kids get it now. I share it with them all the time. Like, yeah, that communication, one. communication. Yeah, and they one. they get it and they appreciate that and they value that. So, the thing that you're protecting, you're protecting. I put in air quotes your family from is actually hurting them. In my opinion, in my own experiences, share it. 
uh, with them and share how it affected you. And I think that'll really do some, it would, it would have shaped me for a better outcome. I might still be a police officer. I might not, I don't know, but it definitely would not have uh, been a bad thing to do those three things. Had I, had I done that? Yeah. Yeah. No. And those are the three things that I, I consistently as well uh, say and do now. And it is, it's so true. The fourth one that I do, that's actually my biggest one is knowing your identity or your purpose, or I call it your why. You know, my, my, who I am is yes. I, you know, yes. At a, at a level, I'm a husband, I'm a, a dad to two dogs. I'm a you know brother, I'm a son, but I'm, I'm a creator of less pain for myself mm-hmm. and others. So that we're all, better, so we're all better versions of ourselves. That's yeah. my mission statement. I create less pain for myself and others to create the best version of ourselves. Yeah. I like that. And when you can, and that all comes from that stems from me being a kid at four or five years old when my dad went to chiropractic school and would leave during the week and be back on the weekends. Cause he'd go to San Francisco from Reading oh. and he'd go down there during the week and then come back on the weekends. And it all stems from that, that feeling of abandonment and that feeling of pain back then. And it is why I have done everything that I have done in my entire life. I've been against bullies. I've been, you know, I've, I've bullied a bully because he was beating up on my brother. I have been the person who in school, instead of there being all the cliques and that there was the popular kids that just were their thing. And then there was everybody else. There wasn't a middle and a, and a, and a unpopular there was, and in turn, I find out that I would kind of was leading on it, leading of it. And I was always creating less pain for people's lives. Problem is, is that when I was in law enforcement, I wasn't creating less pain for myself. It was for everybody else um, because I didn't have my mission statement, uh, which I believe if I had had that mission statement lived by it, I would still be a cop today. Yeah. Because I would have gone, I'm in pain. My mission statement is to reduce less pain reduce the pain for myself yeah. first. First and foremost, I'm in pain. Why am I in pain? And, you know, and everybody has their own unique one. Um, Dan, what do you reckon yours is? I think my why, if, if, if obviously, like you said, family, man, I have dogs, all that stuff. I think my why, my purpose now is to be a good example of someone that can, you know, hit some dips, some really lows and, 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 and just, just keep clawing, mm-hmm. you know? So if I could be every day from here through my conversations at the coffee store or my podcast or my interactions in general, I talk to cops all the time, you know, still, if I can be that, like, I didn't know he was in that bad of shape. And I actually had a person tell me, you're like this Marine SWAT guy, you know, mean as fuck trainer, you know, all this stuff. Cause I was a hardcore kind of guy. Like, you know, I would as a supervisor, like, Hey, stop fucking around. We're here to train, you know, and that kind of, if I, she said, I had no idea you were, you know, she heard one of my podcasts and me talk about what I just talked about on this one. And she's like, I had no idea you were suffering. You know, that that's insane. And I, I, ha, I also have these issues and that wasn't the, the only time I heard that conversation. I'd heard that many times. And I realized you can inspire people to keep climbing. Uh, don't mm-hmm. hit rock bottom and don't stay rock bottom. Yeah. Um, you know, it's okay to, if you hit rock bottom, but you know, here's some things to, to do that. So my why is basically just hopefully being a good example of 
you can change your life. You can. They always say people people don't change, and that's horseshit. People do change. Right. Their lives change. They grow. They mature. They um, they do develop good habits if they want to. Now, that's the that's the key point. If yeah. you want to, I can't make you seek help, you know, and reach out and get professional help and, and, and talk to a counselor and talk to your, you have to do that on your own. I could just tell you, right. You know, that as a coach. Um, so I just try to be that person like shit. If he can do, if he can go through this, then I can too. And I can, I can get there. And so that's, that's kind of my why in a nutshell. And maybe it's, I want to join the Marine Corps, like my son did, you know, and all right, well, and be, inspire him to, do better than I did. And, you know, when he came out of boot camp, and I was like, Hey, man, you're already better than I did. You got meritoriously promoted because you were a squad leader. I never had that in boot camp. You're already better than me. So keep mm. going, you know? Um, and that's kind of my why is just be an example of keep climbing, man. Yeah. So to be an example, let me ask you this. When you were in the police, were you always being an example for others? Uh, good and bad. Yeah. I have my negative points. Um, I always tried to, but you were always, always trying to, to be a good example. Yeah, for everybody I was, I was deep in my heart. I was always trying to be a good cop and a good leader. Were you prioritizing being a good example for yourself before being a good example for others? No, not at all. Do you do that now? Do you make sure that yes. you're a good example for yourself first and then others? Yes, I do every day. And that for the listeners, that's the key. A lot of law enforcement go in because it's, I need to do my purpose and subconsciously we know it. And I'd say yours may even go deeper than that. But with what you, with what we have here, so many people have an idea of it, but they just never learn to articulate it and turn it into a statement that you can easily focus on. And that's the, that's, that's my, that's my, that's my, what's what I do for people because it's so important, uh, I feel, because then you're tied to something that is you, not anybody else. Right. Not a mantra from somebody else. Is, you know, those are great for what you do, but why you do it, that serves why you do it, those other mantras. But your mantra serves you. And if you're doing it for yourself, you'll do it better for others. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, nah, Dan, it's been, it's been great. There's been some great stuff for, you know, it, it's been a great conversation. There's been so many... Um, You've done a lot of work, which is awesome to see. You've worked through a lot of stuff. You've helped a lot of people. Um, and so it's, it's, it's amazing. What would be the last question I like to ask is what would you say? Um, well, before I ask that actually is, um, obviously you've got your filthy pirate coffee that you do, which mm -hmm. sounds, sounds amazing. I'm not a coffee guy, but it sounds, it sounds amazing. I know lots of cops are coffee people. So get in there. Uh, how do people find you, find you, um, and you know, maybe buy something, buy some of the coffee. Yeah, for sure. So our, our coffee company is called filthy pirate coffee and you can find us on our website at filthy pirate.coffee, not.com, but.coffee. Um, I would be a true pirate. I just made up shit that I, I didn't care. And <laughs> did my own thing. Uh, that was the beauty of the company. It was going for it. Was, it was mine. I could create it. I had no one to blame. You yeah. Know? So I love that filthy pirate coffee. Um, we have a store, a, a brick and mortar in Tucson and we do all local roasting and packaging. We it's family owned. We, we handle everything from awesome. start to finish. And then we, we have a podcast strictly for um, police officers, mental health. Um, and we just like you, we interview people with different 
uh, resources and and kind of provide that. And that's called Talking Filthy uh, Police Podcast. Cool. And that's that's on most of the major platforms. And I, I do that completely because I care about cops. And, and one of the things when I retired, I realized, man, there's a whole ton of experts out here that just for cops, mm. right? Or first responders, there's doctors, there's resources, there's groups. Why the fuck didn't anyone tell us any of this shit was out there? Like, you know, so I did a lot of finger pointing, right? Like, you know, if all these things were out there, you know, and there's becoming more and more because we're breaking that stigma, right? We're, yeah. we are as, as a, as a world, we're breaking that stigma for law enforcement. It's not okay to treat our cops that way. And it's not okay to let our cops plummet into an abyss and it's awesome that cops are doing it as well cops are getting involved because then they understand like i understand what you're going what you've gone through i you know not to not not completely but i have more understanding than somebody who sits in an office that has a degree that is going yeah yeah, no you don't do that and you're like how the hell do you know you've never had had to pull a gun on somebody you never had to shoot somebody you never had to scrape somebody up off the train tracks i mean (laughs) right Exactly. And so, you know, it's, I was pointing the finger like, oh, this is bullshit. These agencies should be telling it. I was like, well, you can change. Exactly. You can do it. You can buy the gear at minimal cost and you can do a podcast and you can learn and you can make mistakes and you could get laughed at because you sound like shit in the first few episodes <laughs> and you can have a good time doing this. And it's also therapeutic, you know, and what I learned in that was it was it was for me. And I, I met some amazing people like you, Chris, and just these backgrounds. And I'm like, there's a whole nother world out there. I want to share that with people. You know? yeah. And so stop pointing the finger at others, point it towards yourself and then ask yourself, what can you do differently? Well, how can you fix this? Yeah. You don't have to be a rocket science scientist to figure this shit out. It's not no. that hard, you know, no. um, that's just my, my take on, on that, you know? Yeah. It's why I started this. It's why this podcast got started yeah. because I was helping people prevent burnout and overcome burnout. And then I was like, Let's see what other people are doing and make sure that, you know, that people have gone through burnout and that, what are they doing so that I can test it? Let's test right. out what I've been doing. And now, now it's the thing of, I talked to, uh, it was initially, I'll talk to anybody. Now I've changed it to law enforcement first responders. It was like, we, um, I feel we have one of the most stressful jobs 100%. out there over anything, even over a CEO, you know, that because we have literally the whole world watching us 24 seven on and off duty. Yeah. And watching us and pointing the finger saying, if you fuck up, so help you. Oh, or you find I mean? or just or yeah. just or just trying to find a fuck right. up or make one right. up. You know, yeah. it's like it's like, oh, you, you you stepped out on the road. You should be locked up for jaywalking even though you're a call. It's like <laughs> When does this madness stop, right? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, and you know, the madness only stops if it'll never stop. It's just a matter of what we do with the yeah. madness that matters. Um, for sure. So, yeah. Last question I like to ask, uh, is, um, what would you say your top tip to self-happiness is Dan? My top tip. self. So, yeah, it's just interesting. Cause I have so many in my head that I'm thinking of right now. Um, I, for me, like I said, I perspective, mm-hmm. grateful, not what I don't have, but what I do have. How did I get there? I also, one of the things I've been doing a lot more too is, you know, when I do something, I'm like, oh shit, that's pretty good. You did a good job on that. That, that mm. came out, you know what I mean? When I'm roasting, usually like, oh shit, a new bean. I didn't know it was going to come out like that. Yeah. Instead of saying, you know, God damn it. Why can't I get this right? You know, Hey, not too bad. Yeah. Um, 70% is okay. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I'm used, I'm a guy that's used to being 150%. And so 70% is pretty damn good in the world right now. You know, and so, 70% gets, gets degrees. Um, my, that, that's my long answer to don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. Um, actually, um, you know, prop yourself up a little bit every now and again, because I think, um, we forget about that as cops. We're so, you know, we tell our friends, we tell our colleagues, Hey man, you did a good job on that call. You did this, you did that. Or, you know, but you know, tell yourself that occasionally yeah. too, you know, yeah. remind yourself of the good that you're doing. Yeah. The good that you are, the good that you're doing and the good that you will do. Um, yes. And so, you know, keep that perspective, biohack that brain and rewire, get that negative shit out of there. Right. Um, get it out of there and, um, you know, only think about the positive stuff. Easier said than done. It takes work. You got to put support, some effort. Yeah, that's my I, tip. I think one thing I will touch on that, and it's, I think it's just the language that you used. I don't think it's actually what you meant, but the, the getting the negative thoughts out of there rewire them so that yeah. you see the positive of them you know yeah that that's what i mean so like when yeah, i, I get, that get, to, get to a point where i'm like you know i start getting my one of my biggest signs and this is for our listeners and i've seen this a lot anger um mm, very short very views, very angry and very short views. yeah so <laughs> if you start if you start becoming a dick uh, or an asshole a lot more than you used to be, you're probably suffering. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. It's probably, you know, not who you are. It's just, you're suffering. And so when that happens, I just try to like, okay, all right, this went well today. This went well today. I'm happy with this. I'm happy with that. And I try to shift. And that's what I mean by get that out of your head, yeah. shift what you're thinking about. Shift, Even if it's as simple as it's simple as, well, you know, I'm glad I got up early enough this morning to let the dogs out and they didn't shit on the floor. Yeah, that's a win, right? <laughs> or that's or if they did or if they did shit on the floor, well, what can I do better next time? Yeah, I need to get I up a little, just, <laughs> get up a little bit earlier. A little bit earlier. So um no, I love it. I love it. Well, thanks, Dan. Do you have any last words that you wanna that you wanna say before we wrap up? Yeah, for those men and women that's still in uniform, uh, we love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Got you know this has got to get better uh, to some degree. I don't know if it'll ever all go away, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm very honored to have worked with some amazing people mm. um, and talked with them. And, and um, I really, really kind of strange, you know, being a retired cop, I really value our police officers that we have out there. Right. Um, they have a very hard job ahead of them and keep your head up um, and um, you know, take care of yourself. All right. We always say on our podcast, it's like an airplane, put your mask on first, put your yeah. oxygen mask on first. I use that analogy it makes no sense, time. right? But put it on first, get your yeah. oxygen rolling first and then take care of everyone else. Yeah. No, I love, I love that. It, it, it's so, it's so, so true. You know, it's, we, we have a tendency to look after everybody else's law enforcement and we do a great job at it, but we got to look after ourselves as well, because otherwise we will have no oxygen and we will pass out while we're putting it on somebody else. Yep. You will go down. <laughs> yep. And we all go down. So, Awesome. Well, thanks, Dan, for, for being here. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being so vulnerable with everything and, you know, being so open on it all and, te you know, passing on your tools and tricks and that as well. And and um, for those that are listening, uh, remember, we are here to support you. You know, we are here to help you as well. Um, you don't have to do it on your own. Uh, doing it on your own, yep, you'll get there eventually, but let's make that time as short as possible because I remember battling through it all. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it took forever. Um, so let's make it so that, you know, that job that you love so much, um, you keep loving it because it is a, it is, 
It is the best job in the world. Yes, it's the hardest job in the world, but it's the best job in the world. You get to make some massive differences uh, and impact a lot of really cool people. So don't do it alone. Uh, you know, if you feel like I might be able to one, be the one to help you, then cool, reach out to me. Reach out to Dan. I know he'd be happy to have conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you want to reach out to me, uh, we've got a free Facebook group, actually, uh, that you can come join. It's called uh, Law Enforcement uh, Career Development. So it's for those that want to join in uh, the place. They are cops or they want to, um, you know, transition out of it. They're like, okay, no, I, I think I'm ready to leave. I, that spark's not there. Let's go. Uh, so it's really easy to find if you want to. You can also just punch in police fam. So it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash police fam fam uh and so you can you can you can come join in there uh, i give tips and tricks and tools and we're doing five day challenges at the time of this recording uh, it'll still be in there that's all the mental kinds of things to to help you develop uh but uh also my email is team at create from y.com so you can uh flick me an email anybody who's listening um and yeah come join us um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. I learned a lot from Dan. I heard, you know, just reinforcing a lot of stuff and hearing it. And I love hearing people's stories. So um, I've yabbered on enough now. Uh, so thanks for listening. And um, yeah, make sure you like and subscribe. And we will talk to you guys on the next one. Thank you, guys.